many people have found the Enneagram to be a useful tool for understanding themselves better. What motivates them? What are they afraid of? What is their highest ideal? And many people have also found the Enneagram to be a helpful spiritual tool, a way to understand who God made them to be and how God has wired the hearts of others. But what's the connection between the Enneagram and board games? Depending on where you fall on the Enneagram, are there certain types of games that you will like more than others or that you will want to explore more than others? And does that preference reveal something about your approach to faith? Or is there no connection at all? It's the Enneagram, spirituality, and gaming. On this episode of Board Game Faith, the bi-weekly show exploring the intersection of religion, spirituality, and board games. Hello and welcome, everyone, to Board Game Faith. My name is Daniel Hilty. And my name is Kevin Taylor. And it is so good to have you joining us today. Thank you so much for listening on our podcast or watching on YouTube. We are grateful for your being a part of the show today. And Kevin, I am grateful to see you. How are you doing? I'm good, Daniel. Right back at you. Yeah, I'm really good. Good, good. How is everything in your corner of the world we're we're entering into winter in our in our hemisphere and um anything exciting going on with you as as the days get shorter and the temperatures get cooler no not too much we did get our christmas tree up this is our second year of having an artificial tree oh yeah uh, and it's a nice one like someone told us you need to get this one and it was it was like i think it was half off after the holidays, but it was like $350. It's a very expensive oh, tree. That is but cool. it's really but, nice. I mean, but it's really good. Yeah. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it plugs, it's separated so you can, un, you just pop off the different segments. Oh, nice. And nice. you kind of okay. fluff it up and the lights are on there and we don't have to put water in there. Our cat is still going to the tree looking for water. It's been two years. <sighs> and Miss Kitty who is just dumb as rocks. I mean, she is so stupid. <laughs> but she remembers that there used to be water there, so she's a little confused, but there's no needles falling, there's no water issue, uh, the allergies are better because it was making Cameron and me sneeze for some reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just one of those pay-once, cry-once moments. So it's we're really enjoying it. And it's got great, a little button great. on the lights for your foot, so you can just walk by and step on it and turn it off, which That's... is really satisfying. Is that nice? That is really nice. Yeah. yeah, I've gone team artificial, which we had a real one for our rest, the, you know, up till now for 20, 23 years, we've always gotten a real one. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. What do you are you yeah, team would, artificial or team real? No, we are too artificial. Yeah. Um, same experience. I mean, the, the allergies from having a tree in the house were getting especially bad for Kristen. Mm. And uh, we just kind of find it a new way to do it. And it is a whole lot easier uh, for sure you know and not having to uh, deal with the falling needles and the and then finding a, a way to kind of process to the the, the tree when you're done with it and right. all of that and there, there are a lot of definitely 
easier options. Those trees burn really well. So some people like to go out in the country and just have several years worth and they, cause they go up immediately with the old oh, yeah, sap and the, the, the uh, little, what do you call them? The, what is it that falls from the tree? The needles? Not leaves, but needles. Thank you. The, the needles. needles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I blanked out there. And yeah, they just kind of almost explode type thing. And so it's evidently, you have to be very careful, but it's a lot of fun to just set that on fire and watch them pop. (laughs) But uh, I've not done that. We do have several in the woods behind our house that we've, tree carcasses. Yeah. That's another thing here. In our, a couple homes back, we had a forest behind our our house that we would carry the old trees out to, but we we don't have that anymore. And so it's Mm -hmm. just harder to easily find a spot do you remember the charlie brown christmas special how there was this nod to i guess this this uh this trend in the 60s or 70s to have like uh like pink or blue um artificial christmas trees like like aluminum pink or blue christmas trees i don't remember from the special but i do remember seeing those yes i i i never saw one in person but i also i always thought that seemed Fascinating when I when I would watch if I'm I may be wrong but I think it's in the Charlie Brown Christmas special and there was always part of me that was like secretly envious of those folks that could have pink and blue aluminum Christmas trees because they just really? sounded they sounded like the kind of Christmas trees if you lived on an alien world which right you know who doesn't want to live at least for a little bit on an alien right. world so or if our alien overlords show up you're like I was team alien the whole time I already had a metal tree I, for you I have your Christmas tree. Yeah, come, <laughs> come celebrate with me. Would you, you like have... to be governor of North America due to your awesome tree? <laughs> uh, I I hadn't even thought about the implications for uh, getting in good with future alien overlords, but that's <laughs> any uh, chance that's to an, suck off. I say another plus for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandmother had the tree with the really large gaudy lights multicolored and then the tinsel that just got over everything it was just kind of a strange that was a strange fad as well that she'd never stopped doing yeah so yeah Yeah. oh she still well no i mean she has passed on but i'm just saying she she just did that every year the tinsel was the little tinsel strips well and before christmas you have something else that's especially exciting coming up in your world daniel on Thursday, I'm going to get into a what looks like a large aspirin pill or Tylenol yeah. pill, and we call those planes. And it's going to go up Plane. in the air, and it's going to take me to the city of Philadelphia, not anywhere in Rome or Greece or anything, right? Where was the city? Real, or was that Egypt? Was it Turkey? No. Was it Turkey? Syria? Babylonia? Netherlands? <laughs> PAX Unplugged, which started out as a just a gaming convention for video games at just PAX. And then the board games got so popular, they spun it off. 30,000 of my new best friends are going to be there at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia. So I am excited. Oh, that's going to be so great. I'm excited for you. And, and yeah. we, I know we're talking beforehand. I, I hope we can talk about it some here on the podcast just kind of reflections on conventioning and what a wonderful opportunity that's great it's the one thing i've i've yet to do in my board game journey i've i've watched videos i've watched watch it played i've bought you know 
more games than I need. I've obsessed over them. I've read manuals. I've had board game groups and things, but I've never been to a convention. So this is cool. Cool. This is completing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited for you. We'll be eager to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to let you know what it's like. So tell me, Daniel, the Enneagram. What is the Enneagram? Yeah. Today we're talking about the Enneagram. The Enneagram uh, is something that, uh, you know, I first encountered, oh, I don't know, it was probably maybe 20 years ago or so. And I, I suspect that's probably true for at least some of our listeners as well. It really gained in popularity in the last decade or two. It is a way of understanding different personality types. And mm -hmm. according to um, this, um, this model of thinking about personality types, there are nine fundamental um, fundamental personality types. Uh, the word Enneagram uh, comes from, uh, in part, from the word for, for nine. And also you, it's, it's kind of graphically represented in, in a diagram as well around a circle. And it, so, so according to this, this way of looking at ourselves, there are nine fundamental different personality types. And all of us in one way or another kind of fall into those nine types. And, and understanding what type we are um, many people have been help have found helpful to come to understand like some of the things that we don't necessarily even realize about ourselves, like our assumed worldview and what motivates us and the things we are mm -hmm. uh, afraid of. Uh, the Enneagram, as I understand it, it's kind of it's rather unclear what its origins are. It's it's up for for debate. Um, uh, a lot of folks. I think have traced some of the roots of for Enneagram back uh, centuries uh, into various spiritual traditions, Christian tradition, uh, Sufi Islam tradition. Um, and, and so there seems to be this connection a little bit to, or maybe a lot to spiritual traditions, um, though it's certainly used as, as a more um, secular tool today as, as well, un unrelated to, a specific religious tradition and but one of those potential religious traditions was something is something that you mentioned the other episode Kevin, that i never thought of before that is there some maybe relationship to kind of this original idea of like the seven deadly sins or something like that is that is there some connection to any of that that you're aware of some people have tried to make that connection. They, they claim that the person that developed those seven deadly sins, or we think of, might have had some early version of the Enneagram, but I, I don't think that's a conclusive argument. Okay, okay. But, uh, but we're, neither of us are experts, so we've, we have only a casual acquaintance with this. But from what I have read, some people make that argument and other people are like, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. So, and, and it, it, okay. it seems to me if, if they are true, various people could discover it. Right. Versions Good of point. it. Right. So it points point. to the, it's effectiveness. If there have been other sketches of this in other locations. That would that's a great sense. point. Yeah. You know, sort of like math, like everybody figures out math at some point. Right. You don't have Truth to have learned it. Yeah, what's true is true, <clears throat> depending, kind of irregardless or regardless of how we approach it uh, in um, mm -hmm. what our yeah. particular context yeah. is or background is. By the way, sidebar, isn't it funky that both regardless and irregardless mean the same thing? It is. It is. It seems like they should be opposites. but And you can be ruthless, but you can't be ruthful. 
Unless you are Ruth. Unless you are Ruth. Unless your name is like Ruth and then you're full of Ruthie. Ruth, are you full? Ruth full. <laughs> sort of like Hulk smash. Ruth full. Hulk, Hulk no more smash. Food. Ruth, Ruth, Ruth full. full. Uh, but so despite these did guys. You, of, did uh, you know that Ruth lost some weight? And no. then that's how she became Ruth less. <sighs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. That's very good. That's good. Um. So d- despite kind of its, uh, its ambiguous um, ancient origins, there are some more concrete ways of understanding its introduction into our, our contemporary vocabulary. And what, what are some of, yeah, what are yeah. some of the ways that came into Historically, where, where they see it, they trace it, is that one guy named George Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff, he was Armenian, and I don't know how to pronounce his name in Armenian, so I will just do an American, you know, push my luck and try. <laughs> um, but he was Armenian spiritualist, composer, and teacher. He lived 1865 to 1949. And he is the first one that has the Enneagram as we think of it, but he actually didn't apply it to personality types. He used it as more of a, like a spiritualist understanding of the world. Hmm, so it was some later people. I know it's so he had it, but it's like, he didn't know what, how to use it exactly. So whether he came up with it or he got it from someone else, I don't think anyone knows. But there were two psychologists that began to make use of it in the 1970s, one from Bolivia and one from Chile, uh, Oscar Ichazo and Claudio Naranjo in the 1970s. And so they were the ones that took it and made it more of a therapeutic practice. And then it got taught at some Catholic seminaries. Some Catholics got interested because Naranjo left Chile and moved to California. And, you know, California is where you take new and interesting ideas, right? Yeah. And so it got taught through the Catholic tradition and Catholic seminaries. And and then Richard Rohr is an important 20th century Christian writer and thinker and spiritualist, uh, a, a Catholic priest and monk, right? He's a monk. I believe, yeah, he's a Franciscan monk. I believe. <clears throat> he's yeah. Franciscan. Yeah. He wrote yeah. a book. I think he had a lot to do with popular, popularizing it because he is well-liked and respected and he has talked a lot about it. So it has mysterious origins and it has a therapeutic, um, psychological uh, therapy type practice element to it. So many therapists use it today just as a way to get started in therapy. To talk to someone is sort of, which one are you and what are you like? And the significant people in your life, what are they? And what does that tell you about your interactions? Like what that might help understand some of the closeness or um, arguments and fights, which happen in any relationship. uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, because of these, these modalities. Um, And so it, it, it has been popular in Christian circles as well. So it's been seen as connected to the spiritual life. Right, right. Yeah. I think a lot of people have found it to be a helpful tool for growing in understanding and love toward others and toward themselves, which, uh, of, of course, is one of the primary themes of, of a lot of right. faith traditions. Yeah. It leads you know, to how, a certain we... acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's say that someone's listening to this podcast and, and they maybe... Maybe it's the first time hearing about an Enneagram or they've heard about it, but really haven't explored it very much. And they're thinking like, well, I wonder what kind of Enneagram personality type I am. I don't know why I imagine somebody 
thinking in that kind of voice. But, um, but yeah. So how 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 could someone maybe who's new to the ideas of Enneagram? How can they find out where right. they might fall in that well, personality what they, type? What they should do is take a hundred dollar bill mm-hmm. and write their address on it in Sharpie mm. and send it to Daniel Hilty. <laughs> In Missouri, he doesn't have an address just because it's it's a desolate place. The state is my parish. Yes, and he will uh, he'll tell you. He doesn't even have to talk to you. Just give you, (laughs) just give you. (laughs) No, uh, the internet is really useful here. You can read up, and there's lots of videos and podcasts and websites about it. But one that I would send you to is a website called yourenneagramcoach.com. And we will put that in the links to the podcast and here on YouTube, yourenneagramcoach.com. It's a free service. They will want to follow up and try to get you to do a session with them, but you don't have to. And, you know, that's fair. They've got to pay the bills. So, of course, so that, of course. that's kind of the ex- economic exchange there that they will send you some emails and would like you to sign up to use them as a paid service. But you can just simply use the test. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Great. So what are the, briefly, there's nine of them and um, I know it will kind of, yeah. Why, if you've never studied it, it's, it's going to kind of feel, might feel a little overwhelming, but um, what are the nine types, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. So the, brief. So, um, so there are shorthand ways of talking about each personality type, like, like names or labels. And so I want to share some of the most common shorthand names for this number personality type one is often called the perfectionist uh wants to get things done in the right way uh to be kind of you know ethically right morally right kind of above reproach the helper is number two um uh just you know wants to serve and care for other people and kind of sometimes kind of um doesn't necessarily think about what they need maybe as much number three is the performer um uh, you know, just just has to has to do really well, has to be seen as a success, uh, an an achiever, one who does good things. Uh, the romantic um, just wants to see the connections, the understanding behind everything. Um, wants to lead an extraordinary life, and then um, number five, and then I'll maybe turn the the remaining last four over to you, Kevin, just to talk to you as well. But number five. Um, it can be sometimes called the investigator, sometimes called the observer, but someone who, who likes to um, to observe life, to see life, to come to uh, understand life, sometimes kind of in a way that stands off a little bit, but not in a negative way, uh, can be very independent and, and private and just likes to, in, in a lot of ways, kind of keep to themselves. So that's kind of the first five. Um, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, Kevin, I don't know if you want to add any of those, but then after that, what what be interested in the remaining four? Yeah, no, that was excellent. Uh, the remaining four, number six there would be the loyalist. And this person tends to uh, value being part of a group and to be secure and safe. And so they, they are very much someone who is going to have your back and 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 sort of, yeah, be very loyal to a group and, and a helper in many ways. Number seven is the enthusiast. And this is someone who is fun and happy and wants to have a great time. And they also want to avoid anything painful or difficult. So lots of high energy, but um, also sometimes avoiding a lot of, you know, realities that because reality does include pain. And so they spend a lot of time avoiding painful thoughts or experiences. 
Number eight is the challenger. And this is kind of like a moral, I think of a prophet or crusader type who mm -hmm. is strong, confrontational, commanding, and avoids weakness. So this is the person who's going to stand up for justice or righteousness. Um, Amos out there. Yeah, the, the activists, the prophets. Activists, yeah. Number nine is a peacemaker. They are pleasant and accommodating. They value harmony above all things and avoid conflict. So it, one way to th approach these is each one has things they value and each and each one has things they avoid. Yeah. And that's what that's both the pros and the cons in a sense because yeah. the avoidance is what can sometimes cause other sufferings. Yeah. Kind of their strengths and pitfalls or strengths and traps yeah. for each. For each. Right. Yeah. yeah no one so is better knowing, than the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And and uh, knowing how those interact explains sometimes your frustrations with other people or yourself and knowing, understanding yourself and knowing what you work on or what sometimes is, is something that is a feeling that you can't control, but you're going to feel it. Yeah. Um, feelings yeah. can't be controlled, but our responses to them can be. Right as right. well as ideas. We can yeah. respond to ideas, but sometimes they have a life of their own. So yeah, those are yeah. the nine types. And in theory, Great. you, good listener, you, Board Game Faithful member, are one of those. Now, interestingly, they start to then cross-fertilize. You can have wings, it's said. You can sort of connect to other aspects, or there's triads. So there's ways... If what, you may feel like you're more than one, and that's ways the Enneagram tries to connect that, that you're mostly one of them, but you can also lean towards others. Right. Or you're right. attracted or repelled by certain others. Uh, that may be, Daniel, uh, I don't know what you think, but it may be where it kind of starts to break down that any system can't really fit people into it completely. Right, right. And I think that leads to our first caveat that we're going to wanted to give um, and you, you observed this so well before we started recording, Kevin, that, I, you know, the fact that um, maybe, you know, it does kind of have these, these tweaks to keep in mind, these alterations to keep in mind, it kind of shows that, you know, that no, no system is completely, utterly perfect for understanding uh, this amazingly complex, beautiful, frustrating thing called the human heart, you know, the human mind. And, and so mm -hmm. we, uh, so all which is to say it can be a helpful tool, but no like one number will ever entirely capture, you know, who you are <laughs> as a, as a, right. uh, no system can, no label can ever completely capture, you know, the uniqueness of, of, of any human being. And, um, so yeah, so that's kind of a, a, a caveat. It, 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 um, it, it's a helpful tool, but like anything, it's not the end all or be all of everything. Yeah, some people are real evangelists for this. So I think Richard Rohr says it's the most important thing he's ever learned, something like that, right? Wow, wow, that's amazing. So it's that's been life-changing, which is cool, and that's great. And yeah. if it helps people that much, that's wonderful. It doesn't mean it's going to help everyone as much as you right. may feel. Right. So some people really think it explains you know, life, the universe, and everything. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm, a, I'm glad you and I kind of are a little more like this is a useful tool and there's a lot of truth in it, but, but it, it it, it, there are bumps and rough edges and the, it, it doesn't explain everything. So yeah, yeah. if it did, it would be in a holy writing, right? It would be in the Bible be the, or the Quran the or book something. of Enneagram. 
the book of Enneagram. How many chapters would be in the book of Enneagram? It would have to be nine. Well, that's I guess there I, could be a prologue and epilogue, 11. <laughs> 11. And my next question is, if you're an officiant or a priest or a higher font for it, what does it pay? That's my next question. <laughs> From the Church of Enneagram. That would be... I Church of Enneagram. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. million dollar salary. Oh. <laughs> I, now, we should also say, speaking of Richard Rohr and others, the, I guess the, the second and final caveat, if you haven't figured out already, which I'm sure you probably have, dear listeners and watchers on YouTube... Kevin and I are not experts on this, um, so please right. know that going into this. We, there are s- so many people who know a lot more about the Enneagram than, than we do. Um, yeah, you can get licensed or something with yeah. various groups in it. So, so please take everything certi- we say with certif- kind of a certificate of, of... Certificated, yeah. Certificated. We're yes. not. No, no. So take everything with a little grain of salt. Um, if, if, if you've tuned in to find out like a deep understanding of the Enneagram, I know that I, I can't provide, I'm afraid. I I feel like me talking on the Enneagram would be like if somebody tuned in to find out about like, like how to fix your car or something, at least for me, like, like, I know that there is such a thing as a car (laughs) and that inside the car, there is an engine. Um, but I also know there are experts who understand that engine a lot better than I do. Right. <laughs> and that's probably, probably my, the extent of my, uh, maybe a little bit more, but with, with uh, the, yeah, I'll tell you how to fix your car. Call Jonathan at North Stanley Automotive. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. That's, exactly that's what right. I do to drop it yeah, off. Yeah. There, there's nothing like, so wherever you live and, and Daniel, you've moved several times and moved recently. There's nothing like finding a good mechanic and a good plumber. There's just like, it's, oh, it's a reason not to move. You're just like, I don't know truth. where to take my car anymore. That's the truth. Yeah. yeah. You know, we found, we, we had to find a new plumber here in our, in our new home, uh, in our new city that we're living in. And we were so surprised and pleased with this plumber. I don't think we're ever going to to leave them it's, it's it's an office because there there are multiple plumbers there what do i'm using the plural here um because we uh we had them come out uh to fix something and two weeks later two weeks later kevin on our front porch there arrived a package of the most of of two dozen delicious chocolate chip cookies from the plumber as Why? a way to say thank you i know isn't that thank amazing you for letting me help you Exactly. I can, I, and I can say whatever the motivation, it worked. We will never use another plumber again, as long as we are here in the city, because our plumber sends us chocolate chip cookies. Let's hope he washes his hands between (laughs) jobs when he packages the cookies. (laughs) I'm thinking what a great way, what what a great follow-up for churches too. I'm trying trying to think like, could we send like two dozen chocolate chip cookies to people when they visit the church? I don't know. Classy, classy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so which Enneagram type are you, Daniel? Yes, so... um, Should I guess? Well... You are uh, committed and funny, so I could see you being a six, which is a loyalist. I could see that. I think... And you like to help, so I could see you being a helper. Number two... But yeah. I'm, well, th- I'm not sure that's it. Which one are you? No, no, I, th- I, uh, I, I, I may have moments of those, but yeah. So I'm, I am a, I'm a number nine. I'm a, I'm a peacemaker. 
I'm a peacemaker. Mm. Number nine. And, and you, Kevin, I can, I can also see in you, you are also very helpful, but you're an investigator too. You like to kind of understand and, and yeah. research and, but, but you are neither of those. I believe yeah, Wikipedia well. is my play field. Yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. find yourself strolling through different things, but no, I'm, I'm really a perfectionist. I'm a number one. I, I hate to be the fall guy that let the team down. I hate to make stupid mistakes. I, I want to have the, I want to do it right. I want to find out how to do it right. So I love YouTube. You know, this is how you yeah. fix coffee. This is how you fix this problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I want to do it right. I want to do it right the first time. Uh, so it's a, it's a, like any of these, a blessing and a curse. It's yeah. great to do it right. It's sad when you're obsessing and mad at yourself because you're, you know, not not meeting the expectations you have. So we say that's kind of the pitfall of, yeah. of number one um, that it it yeah the inner critic man we all have it but number one yeah. it's, it's it's that that dude is that dude is jacked up he's like Schwarzenegger yeah yeah you know, you'll quote be Bata. It reminds me, I, I think also, speaking of Richard Rohr earlier, I remember Richard Rohr, maybe speaking of the Enneagram, but just in general, has talked about, you know, every strength has a shadow side and every right. shadow side has a strength. And yeah, yeah. Right. And so yours would be the yeah. av- avoiding conflict? As a, well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's paralyzing. In inevitable. some ways it's paralyzing. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. So my, as a peacemaker, I think what has helped me understand myself is that in some ways it's really spot on. I mean, as a human being, first and foremost, but also as a, a pastor, mm. uh, my what makes my heart sing is I love seeing folks come together across dividing walls that aren't supposed that society says aren't supposed to come together. You know, mm-hmm. I just I live for those moments. You know, and I, I mm. and, and I I think like I feel like the church is most being the church when it helps those kind of connections happen across across dividing walls. And churches um, are great at that because people are so different and they would not have met each other except for a church. Exactly. exactly. Or any house of worship. Yeah. It's true of any house of worship. You know, you get yeah, different people. Yeah, yeah. And and one of the one of the things people point to for the coarsening of American and other societies is people don't interact. And part of it is they're not in religious institutions or or any institution, civic. Right, right, so right. they don't know people that are different than them. And then they have no, they have every reason to hate them because they don't know any of them. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that religious institutions can be, not always, of course, but can be quite, quite good. Again, definitely some exceptions to it as well, but can be quite sure. good at bringing no, there's people dark sides together and, across. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, the pitfall of that is, yeah, that it's, it's yeah, I do, you know, it, it's easy to avoid conflict when I, I think I've learned that a conflict, I, of course, you know, conflict is unavoidable. It's part of life, but I kind of like you said, your inner critic is kind of like jacked up when you're a perfectionist. I feel like mm-hmm. while maybe not many people not many people like conflict. It like, I think what I've discovered is maybe it comes at a, even more of a cost inwardly <laughs> for me right. than for right. others. I, you know, I, I know I have to do it sometimes, but, um, but it, it, uh, it just comes at a, it, it comes at a, at a pretty high emotional, spiritual cost. Um, yeah. 
Yes, some so, people do like conflict. I mean, yeah, they, they yeah. want an argument. They yeah. thrive. And it's not that they want to cause pain or anything. They just, it makes them feel alive. They're like, oh, right. you know, let's say they, they kind of want to get into the, the weeds and, and go at it. So, yeah, they're definitely people that get energy from it. It sounds like for you, it drains you. So you can do it, but it, it's very draining. Whereas other people, it's kind of vivifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's well said. That's well said. Hmm. Um, right. So um, what we wanted to do today is connect these up to games and game mechanisms. What, what, are your, what do you, your Enneagrams say about your games or what do your games say about your Enneagram type thing? And uh, there's a couple of interesting wrinkles here I want to throw in later. But to begin with, I'm going to guess that Daniel, as a peacemaker, number nine, he is going to enjoy a Euro game. I and I'm do. guessing that do. because it avoids conflict. You can do your own little thing. You work on your little tableau and have a sense of accomplishment and there's not conflict. Is that, what do you think? I, I, it is true. And any, and, and um, Euro games are my, personally, my favorite type of game. Mm. I, I absolutely do. You're right. And you avoid why, why do you like, why do you like them? Uh-huh. Yeah. I, they're like puzzles that, <clears throat> and I don't feel guilty about, about any of them, about, about like hurting someone else, right. Or taking away from something else, some, somebody right. else and doing it. But, but, and I don't know if we want to get into this now or later, it's fine too. But I, 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 as I was thinking, preparing for this episode, I think I, I think I realized that there's another mechanism, another type of game that I think actually better represents, at least for me, kind of that peacemaker impulse than um, huh. at least speaks to my peacemaker Give me some heart. hints. Give me some hints. And yet, it's, oddly, it's not my um, favorite kind of game. But it, games that are good at bringing oh. people together across divides. Okay, so maybe role-playing game? Well, I, had, no. I, mean, I don't mean to make you, make you read my mind. No, uh, I'm just trying quite to quite ahead in mind. I'm trying to put some sizzle in the in the in the episode. So give me some hints. Make it a game. Yeah. See if I can guess it. They are games that are often maligned. And if someone were to ask me, I would not say they are my favorite games, but I do enjoy them. And I think I'm coming to see that they especially appeal huh. to the peacemaker heart, to the number nine. Oh, you stumped me. And can you hint towards a game? Um um Give me a clue that rhymes with it or is similar to the name or the something. Give me a clue. Uh, Vlada Chvatel. Is that his name? Uh, the okay. Czech designer. His, most, his yeah. most popular game. Oh, gosh. Mage Knight? No. No. That's not his. Code Names. Yeah. Is it Code Names? What type of game is that? It is a uh, social type game. Yeah. I'm guessing. Laurel and party. <laughs> yeah, what rhymes with party? <laughs> party game. Party games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I huh. think I, you know, I, I, yeah, I think yeah, party yeah. games see, are often much maligned in the hobby board game world, and and I and I honestly, I think I can say honestly, they are not my Do favorite. You think that really? Because they always them. have a pick. They always have a pick of a party game. I didn't think they were maligned. I mean, I can see well, they're not, you know, serious gamers I mean, probably want something I think in the hobby board game world, yeah. Like, maybe, see, you know, I like, like yeah. no one ever, uh, I don't hear that a lot from like hardcore hobby board gamers, but, and they're not my favorite. I do enjoy Euros more, but 
I, I think I realized in preparing for this that, um, huh? Yeah, that, I can see that, that party games bring people together more than right. that's their strength, right? And 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 the last two church board game groups that I have been a part of that um, that has by far been the most popular that. kind of games because uh-huh. they bring people together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't have to be a hobby board gamer. You don't have to be this or that. And so um, I think that that's been a revelation for me in preparing for this episode that I, I think party games are really good for those nines for bringing people but together. But your favorite game is Telestrations and that's a party game. Well, you're right. You're right. It's weird. I, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it is a part. You're right. I, I, but I love Euros. I do. So it's not to say. Well, it's a different, it's a different they result. They don't satisfy I mean, me. Are, in the same way. Yeah, euros yeah. are puzzling and challenging and party games are not really ch- I mean they can be, but it's mostly about having fun. Yeah. It's not really about winning. So, yeah, uh, I I can see that. I can totally see it. And you're right that the games I I've been doing some with the youth at church, we did charades, which they had they had never done it before. Wow. And and did did I tell you this? No. I no. can't I don't think so. Um I don't know if I was repeating myself. Um but yeah, they I had to tell them how to play. And it being a church setting, I wanted to use church words and yeah. I looked online and they were too hard. So I tried to just pick out nouns from the gospel of Mark, <laughs> which ended up being kind of difficult because one was village <laughs> or blind man. Like I was trying to find things in the Bible. <laughs> so, you know, you had to kind of baptize it, make it churchy. Right. Right. Uh, right. So I, part of it, it didn't really matter. I just wanted them to, to do something and, um, and they had no idea. They'd never done it before and they didn't want to do it. And they're like, well, I, I don't want to act it out. I'm like, that's the point. Like, that's the, you know, this is freedom to fail. Like, get up there and make it, make a fool of yourself. No one cares. Yeah, like, we're yeah, just going to laugh yeah. with you. And, and then they didn't want to quit playing. They had so much fun, you mm-hmm. know, trying to act it out. One was the thief. Um, Cause like Jesus tells stories about a thief in the night or something. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so they, they grabbed the hat off of one of the adults in the room and ran out of the room. <laughs> And he was like, what did I do? And we were like, huh. And they were like, thief. So that was really cute. And then we've also done illustrations, which they, being awkward teenagers, said, well, I can't draw. And I was like, that's the point. Like, you're doing something. That's what makes it good. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it funny. Like, you just do your best. And if it's bad, everyone just laughs with you. Um, right, right. And they had they had a ball with that. So yeah, party games. You're, I hadn't really thought about it, but that is that is the strategy, because um, it should be about the fun, not about winning. Right. So as a, as a perfectionist, as, as, then. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Well, I should yeah, say no. You, I'm just like illustrations. So there yeah. are there are win there are win conditions technically, but they're I don't think anyone really uses them. They're not that great. It's more We've fun never just used to them. Yeah. Talk, talk. yeah. 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 Uh, it's a perfectionist. Yeah, no, it, it, it's good for so me you, because it, it, it turns off. I mean, you really can't be that per, I guess you could be good at drawing, but, yeah. um, but it's good for me to play a party game because it shuts off the inner critic because yeah. that's not the point. So what games speak, do speak to you as a number one perfectionist then? Would that, would that be those well, euros as well? I mean, you have to kind of get the, the system just bit. right. Yeah. Um, I think the euros do. I think the euros do, which is a bit of a struggle as I was, as I've kind of hinted at with you before we were recording that I love the euros, but they also torture me because I didn't get the highest points. 
So sometimes in the game world, I'd rather play something with more luck because it means I'm less critical of myself, right? Uh, yeah. Because if I'm yeah. going to play the Euro, I want to eventually have the, you know, be able to beat it at the expert level. But I'm just not that good at games, Daniel. I'm just, <laughs> whatever reason, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I'm not, I'm not the one that's going to win on the expert level. And that kind of drives me a little nutty. So a game that that gives me permission to fail, such as a more luck-based game, is great. Or one designer I really have been enjoying is Adam Kwapinski. And I, I don't know if I'm saying that right because I think he's Polish or, or somewhere in the Eastern European hemisphere. Um, but he did Nemesis and he did Frostpunk. Okay. And his games are often very Euro-y in strategy, except at the very end, there is a win condition, either win or lose. Mm, mm. So Nemesis, can you get off the ship and, and obtain your objective? Okay. So he's really kind of a hybrid. You've got to handle resources and strategize and plan. Maybe it's not exactly Euro. Maybe it's not fair. Like there's not a metric at the end. Like we have to achieve the highest score. Yeah, so maybe it really isn't. But, but there is often a resource management thing that makes me think of a Euro. But okay. Frostpunk, you've got to build a society and survive till the end. And it is, people just bellyache constantly about how hard it is. I bet I've played it 15 times. I've yet to win. But mm -hmm. there will come a day when I win. I believe so that, I kind of like that because it's either win or lose. It's not, right. you know, well, you got 100 points, so you won, but if you want to be on hard level, it's 120. Like that's the kind of thing that would drive me a little nuts because I'd want to get 120, but I'm too lazy. And not it's interesting <laughs> how you've come to see kind of your personality type on the Enneagram as something that both determines, yeah, what games you like, but also what games just are a burden for you. You're, I, I, you almost kind of yeah. like, almost like a light, like and don't like the same game. I for, do. You're right. For, for I really <laughs> do. Yeah. Because yeah. Euros are, I mean, you really have to think hard and plan. And a certain point, for me at least, it's not a game anymore. It's more of like doing your taxes. Right, right. Right, because you have to just be so on game. Now, some people may love the puzzle yeah, play yeah. expert. So Shem Phillips, I mean, the expert setting on much of his games are because of him. I've, evidently, he's just a beast when he plays. Like, wow, he can crush a game. Hmm. Um, and I, I don't know that I can be that person, or I don't know that I, I don't know that I care enough to be that person. Right, right. In terms of working, you know, practicing and working at the but game. Then what I hear so, you say is you kind of beat yourself up for it, like. Uh, yeah, that person. yeah. My, that's the yeah. problem. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I mean, the, the bonus to the perfectionist is I'm going to check the air pressure in my tires. I'm going to do all the right things and maintain what I have. And I follow the rules and, and I'm going to have the nice coffee grinder and all that kind of stuff. Um, the bad thing is that, yeah, it kind of tor tor torments me at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how you negotiate, that's a bit of the trick. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But I do enjoy the puzzly games. I do enjoy a game where you have perfect knowledge. I think that's really cool, like a feast for Odin. I can see There's why really perfectionists really like hidden. that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Azul is a great game. It's a lot of strategy. It's a little bit of luck of what you draw out of the bag, but but you get to plan things out and see if you, you know, when you win that because of your plan, that feels great. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, but yeah I, I do I, like, I do like the zaniness and um, Adam Kwapinski. I mean, he's cruel. You can play a game for two hours and play pretty well and still lose. Mm. But I kind of love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like make or break anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You just enjoy the process of trying to move things toward a yeah, state that's they, closer to perfection. <laughs> yeah, and maybe because it's a very definable goal. Like, yeah. this is win like, or lose. So if I can win, then I'm done. Versus, well, you could could you get 130 points type thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right. But I do enjoy some luck and some zaniness, I think, because it, it makes it makes me a little less self-critical yeah but there's some other types do you want to mention some of the other enneagrams how you think they would line up with the game yeah so so number two is the helper of course um and um the helper as you know as we mentioned is um this one who really finds meaning in in serving others and uh kind of helping to um be a catalyst for things happening in good things happening in other people's lives. Um, right. Kind of the trap, the pitfall can be sometimes at the expense of one's own, one's own needs. Um, the, um, and for me, you know, it, it seems to me like a, a good board game mechanism that goes along with the helper is, is the, is the good old um, um um, cooperative game with mm-hmm. um, uh, asymmetric powers, and so that that's kind of a nerdy hobby board game term. But what that basically means is, like in this cooperative game, everyone has a different character, and each character has certain abilities that other people can't do. And um, to me, at least, not being a helper, I'm just kind of projecting. But it, I, I've seen you know a lot of cooperative games when it's not dominated by one person, which is when we, what we call the alpha gamer in the hobby board game um, world. But, you know, it's not dominated by one person and people truly are cooperating and working together. There is a lot of helping and serving in there, right? It's like, you know, hey, mm-hmm. you've just lost a heart, but this person over here, they have some health that they can give back to you. So, so, um, so I'm going to try to go over here and meet you in this hallway so that I can help restore your heart, you know? And then right. while they're doing that, um, you know, this person's going to go over here and try to, to keep off the monster, you know, from, from coming down here. And so uh, if, when it's done well, cooperative games where there are different roles, different abilities really is kind of an exercise in helping each other, right. And, and, and serving each other. Uh, it makes me think about games like um, Atlantis Rising, a, a good cooperative game that has unique roles in it. Um, I just got a new game in the mail, um, Subterra <laughs> Two, which is also a cooperative game where you're you are serve, you have unique roles serving each other. And then of course the classic Pandemic, right? In Pandemic, mm-hmm. cooperative game, everyone has a different role, and at its best, ideally, you're using your abilities to help other people throughout. Right. I don't know. Does that make sense to you, or is that too? Maybe too obvious. No, for the no, I think I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, the helper wants to 
a helper identifies with other people's needs. So they would love to help you win potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. you're excited that you won and they're excited that you're excited. Right. Right. So they, they kind of, um, they tend to mirror other people's desires. So yeah. Yeah. Co-op games. Do you like co-op games? I'm guessing. Or um, do, do they lead to too much um, conflict potentially? I, I do. The, I do like, go ahead. Yeah. And it's in the sense like you could have disagreement about what people are going to do. Yeah. You know, I like co-op games, but I also struggle with them a little bit. And, and it's for that reason, you know, that, that yeah. kind of surprisingly, sometimes they do lead to conflict, right? Because um, the person will say, well, I really think we should do this. And someone else will say, no, I really think we should do this. And so it either, it sometimes can end up just one person kind of playing that overarching kind of boss role and the ever and, and others kind of maybe just kind of stepping back and not being as engaged but it's not always that way at its best mm -hmm. i think it can be an exercise and cooperation and helpful honestly my my primary experience with cooperative games is i play most of the cooperative games the solo games you right. know and just right. and just control multiple characters um yeah. yeah yeah i just realized that a few months ago which seems kind of obvious that any game that's co-op you you can always solo it. You just play two people. Yeah. Yeah. Like it seems obvious. But so I was, no, I was no, still no. like, well, it doesn't say there's solo mode. So I guess you can't. Yeah. No, no, I can understand <laughs> that's being that. very literal with the rules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can see yeah, why. Gloomhaven in the solo mode, out. sir. <laughs> <laughs> you can be two people. What? Does it say that in the rules? There's the perfectionist. Well, it doesn't have right, to say exactly. it, so you can't do it. You're not That's a good perfectionist mantra. Is it, it is, in the rules? It is. Yeah. is it in the yeah. rules? Yeah. Yeah, so, so our friend, friend of the podcast, Jordan. Hi, Jordan. Um, hey, he Jordan. might be a number one as well. Yeah, yeah, true. Because he enjoys rule books and doing it properly. And, and um, yeah. So. so that's number two. What about number three, Kevin? Do you, do you have any Number thoughts on Number three is the performer. And this is the person that wants to, um, wants success and has got to win. And they also, I think, sort of like doing something dazzling as well, something epic. So they might like co-op games, unfortunately, because they would be the alpha gamer telling everyone else to do. And that would be one of my children. He, that's very much him. <laughs> I have to tell him, like, it's mom's turn. You can advise, but, you know, and he would get mad that she wasn't doing what he, th and he, he actually sadly was often right, but still, um, he, he hates to lose and wants to win. And so that would be someone the performer might want to do push your luck because what they want to do is go out That's with an great. epic, you know, you know, you have a one in 500 chance of winning and That's they roll a great the one. Insight. That's yeah, what yeah, they yeah. want. Yeah. 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 Now, the, the reality is they're going to lose. <laughs> it's just yeah. statistically, you're probably going to lose. And so taking that is a bad role, but that's what they want. They want yeah. the, the heroic ending. Dungeon crawler, something like Gloomhaven, where you get to go around and be this creature and defeating and then having that sense of winning the scenario and going forward. Um. So they might be attracted to that, or if they're really wanting to win, they might want to think about risk mitigation, which is where you're in a game, you're trying to figure out how to prevent the bad dice rolls or, or how, what you do in case something falls apart. So they might enjoy that. 
So Quacks of Quedlingburg, which I've not played, but I'm familiar with. It's a, like a pulling things out of a bag and, and press your luck and you're willing to David luck that. Game, yeah. 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 I that I think it's just a brilliant connection between the performer and hmm. pressure luck games. I, I've never thought about that, but that makes that's so good because you're, you're right. Oh. In that moment, in that moment when when you're pulling that thing out of the bag or whatever to see if you're going to succeed or fail epically, like you are the star, right? Like you're in the spotlight yeah, for that yeah. moment. You are performing. The whole table is watching you. You're performing for the whole table about what's going to happen next. And it's, I could see that that's a really great connection. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a great, great mechanism. I always for think of stranger things, the recent, uh, recent season, which season yeah, three yeah. or whichever, when, yeah. when the girl rolls the D, the 20 on the D 20, when they're playing yes. Dungeons and Dragons. And he's like, this is why we play. Cause she had a <laughs> one in 20 shot of rolling it. That's what they want. <laughs> But life is not like that. Life is a lot of, you know, you forgot to mail the package or you for, right? And and so it, it they can be very frustrated by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. If 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 you could always roll the 20, it's would not be fun. Yeah. So That's right. Kind of That's thwarted. Right. What's what's another type that you see, Daniel? Well, yeah, I was I was wanting to talk to you. I know our listeners may be wondering um, we're approaching the hour mark and, um, which is our, our episode length. And we're about halfway through and we're, we'll divide this up into two episodes, right. listeners and viewers. So don't, we're not going to try to go through all night, but yeah, do you want, you want to try to do one more? Um, yeah, let's do one more each. All, all right. So number four, number, number four, four is the, uh, is the romantic, watch. right? The one who, who, uh, loves, narratives and the stories of life and weaving the stories of life um and uh and and leading an extraordinary life and um to me it seems like a a mechanism that might be especially a game mechanism that might be especially well suited for for the romantic is is kind of the the narrative games Right, the, yes. the, narr- the, the, yes. the games that tell a story, right? Yeah, the, and um, we already mentioned already, like role playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Um, just what you just said, it, you know, for the, the awesome Stranger Things uh, moment. But I mean, that's all about telling a story, uh, role playing games, right? And and um, and when you when you tell a story that's an added layer of creating meaning and creating mm-hmm. um, sense of connection between things. Um, even if it's not, even if it doesn't be inherently there, you can make those connections by the story that you tell in that moment. And, and you can make whatever it is extraordinary by the stories that mm-hmm. you tell in that moment. And so, yeah, role-playing games are really good. And then I think of other, you know, there are narrative games that aren't role-playing games and I have not played as many of these, but I always get the impression that like, like Sleeping Gods, isn't that a, isn't that a narrative driven mm-hmm. game as well? Mm-hmm. Kevin? Very much, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that would be maybe one that also kind of appeals to that sense of making meaning through the stories that we try to tell and um, it, this kind of this romantic sense of of um, of um, of yeah, being the the heroes of these stories that we shape our lives with. I don't know, does yeah, that, does that being, make sense being, to you? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you're you're spot on with that. Like the, the 
the romantic wants to feel certain magic and wants to be extraordinary and different. And, and so they're, they're going to love a role-playing game. They're going to love a game with a story. They may love a game where you get to be something very different. I have a lot of leanings towards this, you know, I, it's like, would you rather play a character where you're a kind of pudgy middle-aged white dude, um, who, right, goes around always self-critical or would you rather be a corpse who is <laughs> who has a magic purple orb and I'm like ooh it's purple <laughs> and you know you ate your parents I'm like yeah that sounds really interesting like, I, did, I totally want to do you know, cuz it's cuz it's fantasy like it's not real so why right, wouldn't right. you be the most interesting thing you can, something very different? Because that's a safe space to be something different. Because right, right. when the story ends, like, of course, you're not going to do any of that stuff. But in the story, ooh. Yeah, yeah. In that story, you can be, you can lead, lead an extraordinary life. Well, that is not yeah. ordinary to what you're yeah. used to. So those are probably, they're going to love cosplay. They're going to like um, that kind of stuff. In fact, maybe that is why those people will go to extraordinary links to go to board game convention and take all this gear they've made and dress up as something and walk around. Right. Because right. they're the romantic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I am the only Princess Leia here. Right. Thing. It would be interesting to, well, just uh, all sorts of different events or conventions or whatever to see if there's connections between Enneagram types mm -hmm. or, or um, the participants in that con convention or, or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. I like it. Well, we have gone through um, just over half of the Enneagram numbers. We've done nine through four because it's a circle, right? So even though that may not it's seem numerical, it is a circle. So that will leave the next time we talk through this five through eight. Right. So, so dear listeners, if you are five through eight, uh, uh, an observer uh, or um, investigator or or questioner or loyalist or enthusiast or challenger we'll we'll, we'll get to you we haven't forgotten mm -hmm. about you you matter we that's see right. you that's right so um so we will <laughs> we will get to that too but i i've enjoyed this kevin this is great thank you so much i i i you know pat on our backs i don't know who else has ever done this so I, i'm sure I'll Google search tomorrow and I'll realize it's been done a million times. But <laughs> right now in this current fantasy life of me, like we are innovators. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Like Enneagram it. game. Let's do it. I, I, and even if someone else has done it, I doubt that any of them uh, brought in mention of a corpse with a purple orb. Yes. Who ate yeah. his parents. So, that's right. Who ate his parents. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> uh, yeah so next episode do we want to get into next episode or we want to kind of yeah next leave? episode I think we can I th we're going to talk about good games that are good to play with family and friends around the holidays yep so yep. whatever your holiday of choice or cultural background is uh, most people gather together at some point especially yep. in yeah. when the days are when the when the nights are long and the days are cold yep yeah which in new zealand would be in the june and july but right 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 you know sidebar related to that we had our son and daughter back home for the holidays here um and um both of them said something to the effect of you know 
the older we get, the more we see the wisdom of putting this major joyous holiday celebration in the middle of the darkest, coldest part of time of the year. (laughs) Because they both said, if there was not something like Christmas to look forward to, this part of the year would would almost kind of be unbearable. And and I I had thought about that, but that there is some wisdom in that. But it also makes me think about, yeah, our friends in in New Zealand and Australia and in, well, Chile and all over the Southern Hemisphere, right? I mean, uh, where that's not the case, you know, and is is there a, and I'm embarrassed to say I don't know enough about um, national celebrations and holidays, but is there something similar to look forward to in the depths of the, the colds of winter in the I, southern I would atmosphere. almost bet there is because yeah. it's just a factor of the human condition that that if yeah. there isn't someone's going to create one something yeah. to look forward to yeah absolutely maybe some of our listeners i know we have we yeah. have wonderful listeners in new zealand and australia yeah, give us a an email we'd love to hear about that are, are is there is there some sort of celebration holiday special moment yeah, let in us the know. depths of winter in the southern hemisphere that um, folks kind of look forward to. Did you know, Daniel, in the, in the fourth century, there was a bishop who argued that Christmas should be in July? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. He was known as Bishop Grumpius Frumpius. And um, he said, he's (laughs) like, you know, summer sucks. It's hot. And the sand gets in my um, gets in my Crocs and my Tevas and my Birkenstocks, and I just need something else to look forward to. And so I think we could just light a Christmas tree and put it in the beach, and I, then I'll have something to do. I, and I he was excommunicated. Yeah, I forgot yeah, about him. Yes, and burned at the stake. Yes, isn't he also <laughs> the first one to ever say? But we've always done it that way. I think he was, he was known he for was that the too. First yeah. One. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was. It was yes, in Latin, yes. of course. Um, it was in Latin. But but um, always a have a done it that way. Ave. Yes. Done it is this this way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ave means hail. That's all I know. Ave Maria. Ave. Yeah. Well, he was getting people's attention when they were yes, busy doing new things. He was saying, "Hey, you, <laughs> Ave La Playa." Um, <laughs> We've always done it this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so it was important to, as he was having his Christmas celebrations on the beach. Yeah. Right, right. Which, uh, uh, honestly, though, some parts of the world, I'm sure, do have Christmas celebrations. I think I've seen pictures of Santa Claus on the beach in Australia. Uh, I think, I think. I'm sure. During the summer celebrations. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I hope he has a summer summer wear. Yeah. Like summer outfit. Because that would be hot. I think I think I saw costume. him in shorts. I think I saw him in shorts. Yeah, yeah. But still with the beard, yeah. which I imagine would be would be <laughs> very uncomfortable in the summer. Yeah, yeah. It's a European holiday. I mean, it's just no way around it. It just and just like the robes, the choir robes and stuff, they all presume, you know, cold castles and monasteries and things. Yeah. Well, Southern Hemisphere board game faith friends, please please let us know. We'd be interested in in hearing. Yeah, what do you do in the summer part of the world? Yeah, in your in your winter, our summer. Yeah, yeah. You're in your winter, which is our summer. Oh, it's so weird. The world is a fascinating place. It's amazing. Let's keep so well, folks. um, We have a newsletter on Sundays. Yep, set one out. 
you can sign up for our newsletter by going to our link tree, um, which is in the bio of our um, of our Instagram account, our Facebook account, or you can just email us if you want to sign up for our newsletter. It's free, by the way, um, um, and it you can sign up for it either of those link tree places or by emailing us at info at boardgamefaith.com or boardgamefaith mm-hmm. at gmail.com. That's right. We also that's have a right. Patreon. Find us. We've got Go Patreon ahead. and we got Instagram. Yes. Yep. Yep. And and one of the things we're, we've been trying to remind folks to do recently that I just recently found out about is that if you, if you feel so moved, if you would like to rate and review us, leave a written review on um, wherever you listen to this podcast or, or even watch it on YouTube. But if you listen like on Apple podcast or Spotify, apparently that, that lets the algorithms know that we are a podcast to recommend to other people. So we'd love that. I appreciate that. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a review and a rating, that would be if wonderful. If you recommend please. us, we'll recommend you. That's right. Kevin, I rate and review you. I rate and review you five stars on a scale of three stars. And my review is one word. Amazing. Oh. <laughs> As a type one, I enjoy that, but I also think that you're probably not being fair. So I'm not sure I can trust you, but I do appreciate it. <laughs> Yay. All right, folks, have a great rest of your two weeks. We'll see you in a bi-weekly format. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.